listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss the left-hand path and the inversion principle. Just a little bit of a trigger warning for some of you out there. There's a very good possibility I'm going to preach tonight. So if that kind of thing is offensive to you, I suggest you turn the dial right now and tune into something else. Well, maybe I shouldn't make that suggestion. You should listen. It is imperative that you listen. Your very future depends upon it. The state of your soul, your spiritual future, may depend upon it. I don't know who the message may be for tonight. But there's somebody out there, whether it's somebody listening live, or who will listen later to the recorded podcast version of this, But there's somebody out there who has been living the left-hand path and maybe regretting some of the choices they've made in their life. So that being said, I'm here tonight not only to cover what the occultists say about the left-hand path, but I'm here to offer hope to whoever out there may be struggling with this journey that we are on in this life. That's what's really important about it. The important thing here is not only getting this information out there for people to digest, but also helping people, lifting those out of a dark place. There are many people that are in a dark place in their life, and perhaps they've never had any hope offered them. Perhaps they've delved down these dark paths. Maybe it's unintentional. Because as we'll discuss here, the left-hand path is not necessarily a direct occult thing. Not necessarily. It's disguised in many ways, but many people may be following the left-hand path in their own life and experience and not realize it. So we're here to turn the light on tonight, shine the light in the dark corners, so that perhaps somebody out there will realize that they've been choosing the wrong path here, and that perhaps they could get back on track. Perhaps it's just a matter of they hadn't thought of things in this way. You see, many people miss the whole point a lot of times with this stuff. There are indeed dark occultists at the top of the power pyramid that run this place, for sure, and they have dark agendas, And they manipulate us with those, but many times just regular people begin to follow down a path that they had never intended. Most people have good intentions in their lives, but oftentimes they get led astray, or they wander off, seeking things that satisfy their own selfish needs. And oftentimes this leads to a dark place for people. So, as I was saying, we're going to explore this way of thinking here. The left-hand path, what it is, what it's all about, how it relates to many of these things that are going on in the world today. And many of the people at the top of the power structure, folks, they do follow this left-hand path. And it is directly because of that reason 
that we need to stand in opposition to this because it only leads to destruction. The left-hand path leads ultimately to destruction. So that being the case, we can offer some alternatives. And we need to offer alternatives. But before we go there, let's go ahead and get into the reading. Tonight we're going to be reading from a book that's titled Lords of the Left-Hand Path. A History of Spiritual Descent by one Mr. Stephen E. Flowers. An interesting book, nonetheless, for people to look at. But we'll see here, as we read in, what the left-hand path is all about. And this is according to this guy, Stephen Flowers. He, he makes sure to emphasize the point in the preface that he's not a Satanist. But he does follow the left-hand path. So keep that in mind as we continue on through here. Let's begin. The left-hand path. Introduction. We will begin with definitions. Philosophical inquiry calls for clarity, and we need clarity for the this publicly unexplored realm. Without these precise definitions, anyone exploring this path on any level will be led into the sea of Misunderstandings and confusion evident in the section below on the historical portrayals of the left-hand path and black magic. Exact understanding of the nature of the left-hand path hinges on a precise theory of the universe in which it is perceived. This theory and the model it presents will prove useful in analyzing the left-hand path traditions throughout history. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So already out of the gate. The author says, without these precise definitions, there might be some misunderstandings and confusion about what the left-hand path is. We'll clear that up as we continue here. There's no confusion in my mind. There's no confusion about it in my mind. I understand exactly what these definitions are for the left-hand path, and he lays it out here in no uncertain terms, what they are, what they represent, and I can tell you, I can tell you, you, you'll understand what he's talking about here as well as we continue through. But at any rate, much of the foundation that this is built upon is faulty. That's what I can tell you for certain. But we'll continue down. Let's read on here. The universe is the totality of existence, both known and unknown. This is a complex model divided into at least two components. The first component, the objective universe, and the second component, the subjective universe. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. The objective and the subjective. Let's keep that in mind as we continue on here. The objective universe is the natural cosmos or world order. This is essentially mechanical or organic, i.e., it is ruled by certain predictable laws manifested in a time-space nature or a time-space continuum. The objective universe, include, including the laws governing it, can be equated with nature as well as with God in the Judeo-Christian tradition, Judeo tradition. Excuse me. All of natural science as well as orthodox theology is predicated on the concept that these laws of the objective universe can be discovered and quantified or described in a purely rational manner in the first instance or by divine revelation in the other. 
When considered closely, it is evident that what is usually referred to as God in Orthodox religions is actually identical to that which he is said to create, the natural, mechanical, organic order or cosmos. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. And that is where this author is mistaken, and he himself has misunderstanding and confusion of just who the creator of this universe is. The creation is not the creator. This is what gets lost on most folks that delve into these occult sciences. The creation is not God. God is not the creation. The creator does portray some of his traits within the creation, but the creation itself is not God. So here, right now, based upon his argument and his premise already, he's going at it with a very faulty foundation. He's claiming here that all major religions and all these major natural philosophies are based upon the fact that the creation is God. Nature is God. That's not the case. That is a blanket statement that does not hold true. But anyway, let's continue on and see what else he says. So remember, the foundation for his argument, already faulty right out of the gate. It might also be pointed out that there has generally been a popular but sometimes misleading distinction between the concepts mechanical and organic. On one level, they are the same in that both are governed by predictable laws. A clockwork or the human body are both ruled and maintained by certain mechanical structures which allow them to function in their environments. At another level, there is a distinction between the mechanical and the organic in that the organic model has the ability to propagate and mutate its mechanical structures to ensure its survival. This is possible because there are coded mechanisms within the organism expressly for this purpose, and it says in parentheses DNA, and because the malleable molecular structure of the mechanism allows for these mutations. So I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So there, he's giving a description of this first idea that he says we need to understand. The objective universe, the objective world, rather than the subjective world. And yes, the objective universe or world that we see is governed by certain natural laws and principles. But he's already made the distinction here and said that all the major religions are based upon the creation. Nature. Nature being God. That's exactly what he says. He says God in Orthodox religions is actually identical to that which he is said to create, the natural, mechanical, organic order, or cosmos. God is not the cosmos. <laughs> I assure you, God is not the cosmos. He is not the creation. But, of course, the occultists will always go at it this way, and many of the old religions looked at it this way. They looked at mankind himself being a part, a fractal part, of the Godhead himself. Now, is that the proper context to look at it at? Hard to say. We are finite in our understanding. We are limited human beings. We do not have the omniscience or omnipotence of the Creator, God Almighty, 
who made this creation, this vast, wonderful creation. And make no mistake about it, there is a creator. There has to be. Does not stand a reason to think that everything was already here. And that some being or intelligence or force or principle all of a sudden spawned out of nowhere and decided to make order out of the chaos that was pre-extant, as the Masons teach you, as the occult fraternities teach you, that this great architect of the universe arose suddenly and crafted all of the primordial chaos into order and crafted all of these things, but thus they were already extant. They were pre-existed and predated creation according to the mystery schools, the occult fraternities, I assure you, that simply cannot be true, because there has to be intelligence in order to create. There has to be an inherent intelligence that exists outside of the parameters of what we can understand in our finite thinking, our finite way of thinking. But anyway, let's go ahead and continue. So he lays down the foundation here for what he describes as the objective universe. And he equates the workings of the objective universe to what they misconstrue in religions as God. That's his point of view, and that's what he says here. So let's go ahead and break down the idea of the subjective universe. The subjective universe is the world of any sentient entity within the universe. There are as many subjective universes as there are sentient beings. The subjective universe is the particularized manifestation of consciousness within the universe. Usually, experience of the objective universe is only indirect as information concerning it must come through the subjective universe. I'm going to pause for a minute here, folks. So we are all limited by our lens of observation that we have. Each and every one of us, our individuality, we are limited by that lens of individuality upon us to the objective universe. But yet, here's the thing, okay, I understand where he's going. And yes, there can be as many different subjective points of view in subjective universes as there are people, or even more than that, intelligences, beyond the intelligences. So we can all perceive things slightly differently. But you know what? We all have to interact through this objective universe. There's definitely a framework in which we exist. So although we may experience things subjectively, we are still a part of this objective universe as created. But let's go ahead and continue here, because I don't want to get too hung up on side tangents. Curiously enough, the subjective universe does not seem governed by the same natural, mechanical, organic laws as the objective universe. In fact, this is the main distinction between them. The subjective universe has the option of acting in a non-natural way, i.e. free from limitations of the world of five senses and three dimensions. At this point, it might be worth pointing out that the terms objective-subjective have nothing in common with the distinction between accurate-inaccurate or exact-inexact which popular usage might have projected onto the terms. The subjective universe is capable of far more accurate and exact manifold operations than the objective universe, 
your reading and understanding of these words is based on the exercise of a faculty within your subjective universe. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So it's through this lens of mind that we observe the objective universe. And yes, that's a subjective thing for certain, but we still have to interact with it. We still exist within the bounds of that objective universe. But let's go ahead and continue reading here, and we'll see exactly what his whole point with pointing this out is. In simple grammatical terms, the subject is the reader, i.e. that which reads, and the object is that which is read. The subjective universe is capable of a full spectrum of possibilities which range from virtually absolute precisions to almost total delusion because it is not bound by natural laws. The focus or epicenter of this non-natural subjective universe is equated with human consciousness or the soul or the ontological self. Going to pause for a moment here. So here... What he's saying is this subjective universe, our experiential universe, has no bounds. It is not bound by natural laws. I would argue the point it most certainly is, because the things that we do, based upon our own subjective experiences and circumstances, regardless of what we do, we will have to face the natural law ramifications of our actions in the objective universe. That's the point here. So human consciousness, he describes as the subjective universe. And I understand the point and the distinction being made here. Absolutely. Because this is something we cannot fully understand. Human beings fully do not understand consciousness, how it works, what exactly it even is. They can't accurately describe it. What is it that makes us the I am? I, the ontological self. What is it that separates us, makes us an individual? Well, it is this idea of this subjective universe, but he calls it a non-natural aspect. And I would disagree totally with that. There's nothing unnatural about existing. (laughs) You see... There's nothing not natural about being conscious or alive, having the spark of life, the divine spark of life. Nothing non-natural about that. But you see the point that he's making here. And this is how it's viewed through the lens of occultism in many of the occult fraternities, secret society groups. So let's continue on, and we'll see what he's saying here. Because I assure you, it sounds to me like he will soon be espousing the philosophy of fire, like all of the others within these secret brotherhoods do. Let's continue. The non-natural aspect of this soul is clearly and basically indicated by humanity's drive to impose structures artificially created in that subjective universe upon the objective universe. All artificially created structures, i.e. those made by arts, crafts, etc., are by definition something separate and apart from the natural cosmos. Be those structures pyramids, poems, or political institutions, animals, many of which may have complex social organizations, are bound by nature and by their organic programming. The wolf pack, no matter if in one part of the world or another, 
now or a million years ago has the same social order. But you will look in vain to find any two human social institutions that are absolutely identical. Anything which is the product of this subjective universe, individual or collective, will bear the mark of variation. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So he's making the argument here that anything that's created by a human being would therefore be unnatural, non-natural, based upon this subjective universe idea, the idea that your consciousness supersedes this, supersedes the objective laws of nature, that the human being is somehow different, the soul, the spirit that we have is different. So humans and animals do not work the same. To this we do see some degree of truth, don't we? Like if you look at his example he gives here, a wolf, regardless of where you find wolves in the world, they have the same social hierarchy, no matter where they're from, no matter what time period they're from. That's true to a certain degree. That's true to a certain degree, but I would say we do see changes in behaviors over the course of time within them. So how would we know that? We can only look back so far. How do we know what, what a wolf pack acted like a million years ago? We simply don't. We make assumptions about that. So there's another spurious argument right there with which he decides to justify the left-hand path. But we'll see. I don't want to put words in his mouth. We'll continue on here. And we'll, we'll begin to pick this apart a little bit more. So he says, Each particular instance of this soul, this phenomenon of the subjective universe, implies the existence of a first form or general principle from which all the particular manifestations are derived. In the most philosophically refined of the schools of the left-hand path, this print first principle of isolate intelligence is identified as the Prince of Darkness, or the ultimate deity of the left-hand path. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. The Prince of Darkness. That is the first principle of isolate intelligence, according to the left-hand path. We'll see why in a minute. Why? He explains it as such in a minute. This is the archetype of the self, from which all particular selves are derived. This is also an element of the non-natural universe, which objectively belongs to the universe itself. Going to pause for a minute here, folks. The non-natural element. The it, so he claims that this Prince of Darkness idea, the self, the dark archetype, is an element of the non-natural universe which objectively belongs to the universe itself. Well, this is a subjective thing. How can a subjective universe belong to an objective universe? And that's kind of the point <laughs> that needs to be made here. So he's contradicting himself right here with this concept. Now... I don't disagree with the fact that the subjective universe, the consciousness itself, is bound in the objective universe or a part of the objective universe. My argument is there's nothing non-natural about the soul. We were created with a soul as a soul by the creator for a purpose. 
for a reason, and it's all part of his natural order that he has. Now, these people, the left-hand path, they'll say, well, that's the non-natural element. The non-natural, this is what separates man from everything else. We have this non-natural element to us, and therefore it is our ultimate destiny to conquer everything. And they'll go back to the biblical argument that we have dominion, that God the Creator gave us dominion in this place. It's a misconstruing of that concept. We do have a type of dominion. But to claim that that's the non-natural path to take, this is a totally different idea, a total misconstruing and a perversion of the intention. But let's continue on and we'll see what else he says here. So he says, This is also an element of the non-natural universe which objectively belongs to the universe itself. In this way, the Prince of Darkness can be seen as an independent, sentient being in the objective universe because this is the very principle of that quality in the universe. Humanity is the only species we know of which shares that quality. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So giving homage to this principle of the Prince of Darkness, but also saying that it is only humanity which shares this quality. So it's the essence of being human, the Prince of Darkness, according to what he's saying here. Now let's go ahead and continue on. Let's continue on. The right-hand path and the left-hand path. The central question now becomes, what is the way in which this conscious free soul is going to relate to or seek to interact with the objective universe or the universe as a whole? The right-hand path answers this question simply by saying that the subjective universe must harmonize itself with the laws of the objective universe, be that envisioned as God or nature. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So the right-hand path is working with the natural order of things, harmonizing with God's plan for you. This sounds logical, doesn't it? This is what we were created to do. This is what we were created to be. So it says here that the right-hand path answers the question simply by saying, that the subjective universe must harmonize itself with the laws of the objective universe. Well, this is logical. This is logical, makes perfect sense. And that is what we should be doing. That is the plan. That's how all things work together for good, you see. But now, let's go ahead and continue and see what his answer to this is. Humanity is to seek knowledge of the law and then apply itself to submitting to that law in order to gain ultimate union with the objective universe, with God or nature. The right-hand path is the path of union with universal reality, which would be God or nature, it says in the parentheses here. When this union is completed, the individual self will be annihilated the individual will become one with the divine or natural cosmic order. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. This is an assumption. This is absolutely an assumption. 
This is what many false philosophies are based upon. This idea of becoming one with God or becoming God, reunifying yourself with God. Now, will we have fellowship with God? That's a different thing altogether. And I think that's what the ultimate outcome of following the right-hand path, as defined here, would be. The reunification of relationship with God. Not having your soul absolved and you become nothing. You become absorbed into the collective, the whole. Collectivism is the opposite of the right-hand path, folks. Individuality only becomes elevated when you go on the right-hand path. And this is where many of these false philosophies and mystery school teachings, occult fraternities, this is where they get it wrong. Many of them, not all of them. Some of them will actually teach you that. That the only way to get to this next phase is through the going down this right-hand path. But the vast majority that are in control in this world today will lead you firmly down the left-hand path. And oftentimes, they don't even have to lead you. There's spiritual influences all around you that subtly egg you onto the left-hand path. It's something that becomes obvious when you take a step back and look at the world around you today. But let's go ahead and continue reading, and we'll see what uh, this Stephen Flowers has to say about all of this here. So he says here, to repeat, he says, When this union is completed, the individual self will be annihilated. The individual will become one with the divine or natural cosmic order. In this state, the ego is destroyed as heaven is entered, or a nirvanic existence slash non-existence is attained. This is clearly the goal of all Orthodox, Judaic, Christian, Islamic, or Buddhist sects. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. I disagree. I think that's a very broad blanket statement that he's making here. And I think it's based upon fallacy. Assumptions that he's making. Assumptions. And see, this is where they get it wrong. They make assumptions about these religious ideas. You see, the important thing is your relationship with God, the Creator, not so much a religious ideology or a set of laws. Now, we are given these laws in the religious texts so that we understand that we are bound by some natural law principles here and that there will be recompense if we do not abide by or try to align ourselves with those natural laws. And this is where many get it wrong, you see. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute here because he will explain the notions of the left-hand path. And I'm sure he will tout all the ways that it's superior to the right-hand path because that's what many of these people do. It's a difference in philosophy. You see, these are the philosophies of the philosophers of fire. These are the very things they teach. 
the vast majority of those that follow this quote-unquote philosophy of fire will choose the left-hand path because that is, well, that's the natural consequence of disobeying natural law and trying to become God yourself as these people believe they can. The hubris, it blinds them. The light blinds them, and they will tell you that. They're blinded by the light. Did you just think that was a fancy lyric? <laughs> just a, a, a very uh, special lyric come up with for that song, Blinded by the Light. And, you know, we could add whatever incoherent ramblings you want to the end of that, because it's always grossly misconstrued what the next phrase is, but uh, I won't go there. Uh, but anyway, let's get back on to the reading here. So he, he says that this is clearly the goal of all the Orthodox, Judaic, Christian, Islamic, or Buddhistic sects. So all the mainline religions, that's their goal, is to be reunified with God and become, poof, nothing, you don't exist anymore. You've been reunified with Source. A lot of that goes back to some of the thinking in Greek philosophy as well in some of these other places, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Let's continue on here. The left-hand path considers the position of humanity as it is. It takes into account the manifest and deep-seated desire of each human being to be free, empowered, independent actor within his or her own world. The pleasure and pain made possible by independent existence are seen as something to be embraced and as the most reasonable signs of the highest, most noble destiny possible for humans to attain, a kind of independent existence on a level usually thought of as divine. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So you see, just like the philosophers of fire teach, it's mankind's destiny to become gods divine that we can strive to do this because we have the intelligence we have the intellect that's the thing they deify intellect or in modern parlance they call this intellect science have you been paying attention to the world today let's continue on just as most humans go through their natural everyday lives, seeking that which will give them maximal amounts of such things as knowledge, power, freedom, independence, and distinction within their world, those who walk the left-hand path logically extend this to the non-natural realm. They issue right-hand path admonitions that such spiritual behavior is evil and that they should basically get with the program of God, of nature, etc., and become good company men. going to pause for a moment here, folks. Once again, a logical fallacy being made. He's making assumptions that those on the right-hand path will automatically call the left-hand path evil. They see that kind of spiritual behavior as evil and that they tell people they need to get with the program here to align themselves with the natural laws. That's just advice it's sound advice, really, when it comes down to it. I wouldn't suggest anybody become a good company man. A company man. Business practices do not help in, in philosophy or theology, for certain. 
So being a good company man is not going to be necessarily the best way forward to honor the right-hand path. That's just my own personal opinion. I personally have stepped away from corporate business life because I just could not stand it anymore. Really did not resonate with me. Never did, honestly. Just seems like a trap. A trap for the soul, for the spirit. So that being the case, I I, I would say that uh, being a good company man, as he associates it here with religious and philosophical concepts of the right-hand path, I think that's a fallacy because in my estimation, in my view, that doesn't align with those principles, being a good company man. But that's neither here nor there. I don't want to belabor the point and go off on too long of a side tangent about that. We have a lot more to cover, so let's get back into the reading here. The self-awareness of independence is seen by many as the fundamental reality of the human condition. One can accept it and live or reject it and die. By accepting the internal known reality of human consciousness, an eternally dynamic, ever-moving, ever-changing existence is embraced. By rejecting it and embracing an external unknown reality of God-slash-nature, an eternally static, ever-still and permanent existence is accepted. From a certain enlightened perspective, both paths are perfectly good. It is just a matter of the conscious exercise of the will to follow one of these paths in an aware state without self-delusion. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So now he's making the claim that rejecting this in eternal dynamic of your own consciousness, by rejecting that, by accepting the notion that there is a God and you should probably obey the precepts of this creation that he made, follow the natural laws he put in place, and live by some of those guiding moral principles. To do that, he says, is a rejection of your own consciousness, your own subjective reality, your own individuality and individualism. So that's what he claims here, and that that's perfectly fine. But he thinks there's a better way, and this, once again, aligns with what the philosophers of fire say. You see, they see themselves as the builders they're the ones that get things done. What, what's that company out there that says, the ones that get things done? Granger, I think that's what it is, Granger. If you've ever heard those ads, well, there you go. They're the ones that get things done. The builders, the philosophers of fire. They're the ones that guide their own destinies. They don't rely upon an external god to guide them or help them. They do it themselves. They see that as being superior. They they put in the work themselves. They build their own destiny. They are the builders. And those of us, those of us who would follow this right-hand path towards the laws of the universe, of God, the laws of God put in place here, those of us that follow that precept and want to walk want to walk in communion with God, want to have fellowship with God, they see us as what they call those of the waters of faith. They see us as being weak-willed, 
willing to just take second-hand handouts from God, whatever he provides to us, and that's good enough, and we're content with that. But you see, these builders, they have ambition. They have fire in their veins. Fire that drives them onward. They want to do something. They want to build their own future and destiny. That's the type of philosophy that this whole left-hand path ideal goes with, as we see here. But anyway, he says either of the paths is fine. I would say that's not necessarily so, because one leads to destruction, and one leads to communion with God, fellowship with God, and towards having ultimately all of our spiritual needs met, our spiritual yearnings, whereas this left-hand path strays away from that towards the material manifestation of things, away from the spiritual and more towards the material world. But let's go ahead, we'll continue here, and we'll see how he frames this up. Essentially, the left-hand path is then the path of non-union with the objective universe. It is the way of isolating consciousness within the subjective universe and in a state of self-imposed psychic solitude, refining the soul or psyche to ever more perfect levels. The objective universe is then made to harmonize itself with the will of the individual psyche instead of the other way around. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So he's saying the left-hand path is the path to becoming God. That's essentially what he's trying to describe there. It's bringing the objective universe into alignment with your subjective universe, with your will, isolating yourself, psychic solitude, self-imposed psychic solitude, separating yourself from God, from the creation itself, and enforcing your will upon the objective universe to bring about the changes that you want in it. Sounds like, to me, like the goal of the transhumanists, let's build a virtual reality. You can upload your consciousness into this virtual reality, and it could be whatever you want it to be. You could mold it to your will. It's a trap, folks. It's a trap in no uncertain terms. It is not feasible for man to become God. will never happen. Man is not God. He is not the creator of this place. And any man who seeks that path, thinking he can be God or attain Godhood or apotheosis or any such thing, is deceiving himself. And he is walking the left-hand path. Because oftentimes it is an attractive path to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But let's continue on. I don't want to put words in his mouth here. If we continue reading, he'll tell you his thoughts here. So he says, The objective universe is then made to harmonize itself with the will of the individual psyche instead of the other way around. Where the right-hand path is theocentric, or certainly aliocentric, other-centered, the left-hand path is psyche-centric, or soul, self-centered. 
Those within the left-hand path may argue over the nature of this self-ego soul, but that the individual is the epicenter of the path itself seems undisputed. An eternal separation of the individual intelligence from the objective universe is sought in the left-hand path. This amounts to an immortality of the independent self-consciousness moving within the objective universe and interacting with it at will. going to pause for a moment here, folks. So he, what he's saying here is this is about maintaining your individuality. You see, it's affirming your individuality and it's taking your place as an independent self-consciousness moving within the objective universe and interacting with it at will. You can have power over this universe. I call poppycock there, Mr. Flowers. How many worlds have you created, Mr. Flowers? Do you understand the hubris here? This is the problem with the left-hand path. It's delusional. And there are people in positions of power in this world that very seriously follow this path. And we're going to get to the precepts of it here. The precepts of this path. So the next portion here, it says white magic slash black magic. The terms white magic and black magic have been so bandied about in popular jargon that they might be said to have lost most of their meaningfulness. For my purposes, I will restore them to a meaningful philosophical context. Magic can be defined as a methodology by which the configuration of the subjective or objective universe is altered through an act of will originating within the psyche or the core of the individual subjective universe. Perhaps the most famous definition was offered by the English magician Aleister Crowley, who said, quote, Magic is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will, end quote. So I'm going to pause for a second there just to point out that the word will is emphasized there and that these people certainly think they can bend reality around them to their own will. Is that so? Have we seen that? Has Aleister Crowley become the god of this place? Would not appear to be so, would it? Let's continue reading here. Actually, there is no one definition of magic universally accepted by academics and practicing magicians alike, nor is there common agreement on the distinctions between religion and magic. But taking most of the current theories into account, a more comprehensive definition might be ventured. Magic is the willed application of symbolic methods to cause or prevent changes in the universe by means of symbolic acts of communication with paranormal factors. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Which universe is he talking about now? Is this this objective universe or the objective universe? Hmm? Or is it a little bit of both? Maybe the magic just happens in your mind, right? <laughs> Let's continue. These factors could be inside or outside the subjective universe of the operator. <laughs> Gonna pause for a second there, folks. So he just reaffirmed what I was saying. So these factors could be inside or outside the subjective universe of the person. So if their magical spell didn't work, well, it worked in their mind only, in their own little subjective universe, but not 
objectively in the objective universe. So how much have they been able to use their will to bend the objective universe or reality to conform with their will? Hmm? Do you see how they always have some kind of an excuse as to why, why it is that they just seem to fail at becoming God? It's not that it's not possible, you see. It's just, you know, well, it, it certainly happened in my truth. My truth. Do you get it? Do you see why these people talk in the way that they do oftentimes? That truth is subjective. No, truth is objective. You cannot have a different truth than somebody else. Truth is truth, period. Objective, subjective, across the board with everything. But these people will align this way of thinking and call it their subjective truth. Oh, that's my truth. Well, good for you, buddy. That's not going to help you. You are not a god. You're not going to become one. Period. Let's go ahead and continue reading, though. These factors could be inside or outside the subjective universe of the operator. Magic is a way to make things happen that ordinarily would not happen. Religion may be distinguished from magic only when the nature of the human, the human will, is taken into account. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Notice the emphasis again put on the idea of will. This is hugely important to them within the occult fraternities. The will. Let's read that again and continue from there. Religion may be distinguished from magic only when the nature of the human will is taken into account. In magic, the individual will is primary and is considered to have a real and independent existence. The magician makes the universe do his bidding to harmonize itself with his will, whereas in religion, the human community attempts to harmonize its behavior with a universal pattern, be it God or nature. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So, once again, the claim is made here. The magician on the left-hand path will cause the universe to do his bidding. Really? I don't see it. Sorry. <laughs> you can manipulate people. You can manipulate events. But you are not bending the universe to perform your will. That's not how this works. And that religion is where the community attempts to harmonize its behavior with a universal pattern or with God, with God's will, to align themselves with God's will. So that's what the argument is here. So the left-hand path, it would seem, is the path of the magician. Although there's claims that there are right-hand path magicians, is that so? Are there those on the right-hand path that seek to bend the universe to their own will, according to the definitions given here, as to what would differentiate magicians or those from the left-hand path from the right-hand path? Does it make any sense to you whatsoever here, what's being presented? So we see here it's this distinction between the individual who wants to assert his own will on everything, going through this delusional process of thinking that he can certainly achieve that and bend the entire universe to conform with what he wants. They always fail. Always. 
Let's go ahead and continue with the reading here. In a precise sense, the distinction between white and black magic is simply that white magic is a psychological methodology for the promotion of union with the universe and pursuing aims in harmony with those of the universe, while black magic is such a methodology for the exercise of independence from the universe and pursuing self-oriented aims. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So the whole goal of black magic, or the left-hand path here, because he's kind of co kind of uh, conflated one with the other, really, here, when you look at it. So the ultimate goal of both the left-hand path and black magic is to exercise independence from the universe while pursuing self-oriented aims. Are you independent of the universe, Mr. Flowers? Can you exist without interacting with this universe in some way, shape, or form? Is Aleister Crowley independent of the universe? Is he a universe unto himself now? Is that the claims that they make? Is there evidence of this? I would argue, no. <laughs> we see no evidence of such a thing. The left-hand path, like I said, folks, it's a strong delusion. We were warned about a strong delusion in the Bible, weren't we? This is one of the strongest delusions, and these people will persuade themselves, we're not Satanists. We don't follow any type of a dark spiritual path. Oh, of, of course we, you know, go ahead and give a little bit of reference or lip service to the Prince of Darkness, as asserted here in the beginning of the book, or these ideas, but of course, pff, that's all in just good fun, right? It's all in good fun. It's all about this negation principle. It's about inversion, and we'll get there. There's still a lot to cover, and I want to squeeze as much in as I can. But we'll get there. We're working towards it. Let's continue from where we left off here. So he says... Structurally, white magic has much in common with religion as defined above, while black magic is more purely magical in and of itself. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So black magic's more magic than white magic. <laughs> it's much more magic-y, I guess. <laughs> so that's the argument here. The blacker the magic, the more magic-y the magic is. Uh, let's go ahead and continue here. This is why magic as a category of behavior is often condemned by orthodox religious systems. The historical conceptualizations of white magic and black magic will be discussed below, but for the sake of precise understanding here, I will simply be using white magic as a designation for the spiritual methodology or technology of the right-hand path, and black magic as designation for the for that of the left-hand path. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So notice that he designates white magic and black magic as spiritual methodologies or technologies. Spiritual technology. Keep that term in mind. Technology. Have you heard others out there talking about technologies of consciousness, of the spirit? technologies. Think about that very carefully. And when you listen to certain types out there speaking and using these terms, understand 
This is delineated by those on the left-hand path. You won't find somebody on the right-hand path talking about spiritual technology or speaking of alignment with the will of God as a technology of sorts. You won't hear that. That's a distinction made solely by those on the left-hand path. So remember that. So next, the next heading here, the subheading, is Lords of the Left-Hand Path. In this book, I examine the ideas and careers of many magicians and philosophers of the past and present. Some are figures widely thought to be satanic or evil, while others may have gone through history without such an image. But images rarely correspond to reality, despite what Madison Avenue or Washington, D.C. would have you believe. Going to pause for a moment here, folks, and I would say there's very many people who would argue that point. Images do have a lot to do with their correspondence to reality, because through the use of images, you can manipulate things in reality. That's the very definition of black magic, if you want to get down to it is manipulating the image, changing the image of man and his place in the universe, changing images of man. I always point that book out as an important resource. But that's essentially what has been done here in the name of the left-hand path. And certainly, those practicing some of these left-hand path ideologies can have effects in the world but it does not mean that they can bend the universe to conform to their will. Most of the time they fail. They may attain temporary small victories over things, as we see often here. But the human spirit is stronger than that. They cannot bend all of the objective reality to their will as much as they would like to think that they can. And he's even con contradicting himself here by claiming that the image rarely corresponds to reality, usually doesn't correspond to reality, but at some point, when you present the image enough and people begin to believe in the image, then it can start to correspond with reality. But most of the time, the image presented does not correspond to the then existing reality. And that's the point here. But let's go ahead and continue. In the final analysis, some of these figures will be rejected as being something other than practitioners of the left-hand path. The criteria I use in determining the true left-hand path character of those so deemed must be laid out clearly at this point. Some of those considered in the book will have a number of the criteria, but not enough to be considered a lord or master of the path. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So this guy is so enamored of the left-hand path that he identified criteria by which somebody can be considered a lord of the left-hand path. You see, if they follow all of the precepts, then maybe, just maybe, they're a lord of the left-hand path, which offers them what exactly? Hmm? A whole lot of nothing, in my estimation, but let's go ahead and continue reading. There are two major criteria for being considered a true lord of the left-hand path. Deification of the self and antinomianism. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Deification of the self. Becoming God. You are God. That's 
the primary teaching of the left-hand path. That's the primary precept that you are God. You can become God. You will be God. And antinomianism, and he'll explain to you what that is in the next couple sentences here. The first of these is complex. The system of thought proposed by the magician or philosopher must be one that promotes individual self-deification, preferably based on an initiatorially magical scheme. The first criterion will be seen to have four distinct elements. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks, before we read off these four distinct elements and point out to you that this self-deification is preferably based upon an initiatory rite, magical scheme, as he calls it here, just like those secret societies and fraternal brotherhoods and occult organizations do. It's about self-deification. It's the following of the left-hand path. So any of these occult fraternities that tell you they're the good guys, they're not on the right side. They are, by definition, following the left-hand path. It's about self-deification. That's what all the initiation rites are about in these secret societies. Self-deification. Becoming God. So remember. Remember. A couple of key points. If there's an initiation ceremony involved, it's of the left-hand path. If there's secrecy involved, it's of the left-hand path. Keep those two main things in mind, and that describes every fraternal order out there. They're following the left-hand path, whether they realize it or not. They're on the side of these philosophers of fire, as they call themselves. They think they're the builders, that they can build their own destiny, they can acquire their own salvation, and that is false. That's a lie born in the pit of hell, and they don't even realize it. They think they can earn their salvation. They think they can become gods. They have no interest in salvation as defined in many of the religious pretexts. They want to be God. They want to become God. They want to replace God. They want to usurp God, the creator of this place. And they think they can do it through following this path. But you know what? Where are all of the individuals that have ever followed this path in this world for as far back as we can look? Where are they? Have any of them succeeded have they become the god of this place? Have they? But let's continue on here because he says the first criterion will be seen as having four distinct elements. Now this is for somebody to be truly considered a lord of the left-hand path. Number one, self-deification, attainment of an enlightened or awakened independently existing intellect and its relative immortality. Number two, individualism, the enlightened intellect is that of a given individual, not a collective body. Number three, initiation, the enlightenment and strength of essence necessary for the desired state of evolution of self are attained 
by means of stages created by the will of the magician, not because he or she was divine to begin with. And number four, magic. Practitioners of the left-hand path see themselves as using their own wills in a rationally intuited system or spiritual technology designed to cause the universe around them to conform to their self-willed patterns. So I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. So this is the criteria that he says about this self-deification. This is what it must be. So the attainment of enlightened or awakened independently existing intellect in its relative immortality, that's something that we already have. It's a gift of God. So I would not call that self-deification. We have an intellect. We have intelligence. We have consciousness. We are individuals. We have an immortal soul. We already have that. That is not self-deification. You see, we already have that. We were created with this, as this. But we are not gods, nor can we be gods. So next it says, individualism, the enlightened intellect, is that of a given individual, not a collective body. We also have that. And here's the thing that I find troubling, is these people that follow this left-hand path, you know, the ones that are talking now about this spiritual technology, using this spiritual technology to attain their goals, they talk about individuality. The ends of following these transhumanist technologies or spiritual technologies, as described in Ray Kurzweil's The Age of Spiritual Machines, the ultimate the end thereof is a collective intelligence. So it is the very thing that they're claiming to be against that they are doing. You see, if they follow this trend of spiritual technologies, as they like to describe them, and they use these technologies to assert their will in the universe, well, guess what? Here's the problem with that. Only one will is going to win out and manifest and have control over the object of reality. And do you know whose will that's going to be? The Prince of Darkness, also called Lucifer, Satan, the Devil, Antichrist, the advent of Araman, as described by Rudolf Steiner. These are all one and the same thing. This is the intelligence that will be left at the end of it all with all these people uniting together to try to enforce their own will upon the objective universe. It's the cruel joke of it all. They go at it thinking, I'm going to be an individual. I am my own man. I am my own person. I am my own God. I am my own universe. I will assert my will. I will bend the will of the universe, the objective universe around me, to align with my will. But guess what? It's a delusion. A grand delusion. A strong delusion, as described in the Bible. They will have happened to them the very thing that they claim the right-hand path is all about, that they are wrong about. 
You see how they got it all backwards? It's the inversion principle at work. And they work feverishly towards this. But let's continue on here. So uh, pointing out number three, as he said here, initiation. Well, an initiation into a brotherhood is all about collectivism, isn't it? It's not about the individual. It's about the collective. It's about the brotherhood. You follow the precepts of the brotherhood. You conform to the brotherhood's will. It is not your own will. So once again, it's the opposite of what they espouse here, of what's being said. And the fourth tenet here, he says, is magic. Practitioners of the left-hand path see themselves as using their own wills in a rationally intuited system of or spiritual technology designed to cause the universe around them to conform to their self-willed patterns. So they're all magicians. Black magicians, by definition here, by these terms that are being given to us by Stephen Flowers on the left-hand path. But let's go ahead and continue. There's still a lot I want to cover here tonight, and we're, we're getting low on time. So let's get back into it. So he's, that's part of the first criterion here of the left-hand path, and that would be self-deification, becoming God. And how does he identify it? By these four criteria. That's how you could know that you are God, right? So the second criterion, he says, is what he calls antinomianism. The second criterion, antinomianism, states that practitioners think of themselves as going against the grain of their culturally conditioned and conventional norms of good and evil. True lords of the left-hand path will have the spiritual courage to identify himself with the cultural norms of evil. There will be an embracing of the symbols of conventional evil or impurity or rationality or whatever quality the conventional culture fears and loathes. The lord of the left-hand path will set himself apart from his fellow man, will actually or figuratively become an outsider in order to gain the kind of inner independence necessary for the other initiatory work present in the first criterion. The practice of this second criterion often manifests itself in antinomianism, that is, the purposeful reversal of conventional normatives. Evil becomes good, impure becomes pure, darkness becomes light. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. The Bible says, woe to him who calls good evil and evil good. Woe to him. This is absolutely what the left-hand path is about, the inversion principle. The inversion principle, as admitted here by Stephen Flowers in this book, it's what the left-hand path embraces. They seek to be different than the cultural norm. They want to be different. What do we have parading all over the place anymore out there in the entertainment culture and on the news and on everything you see all the time? You see all of these unnatural things that go against the cultural norm, and they're beginning to try to shape the cultural norm with these things to align with their will. The ends thereof are always destruction, I assure you. So evil becomes good, good becomes evil. The inversion principle Let's go ahead and continue reading, because he fleshes it out a little bit more here. 
Literally, antinomianism implies something against the law. But the practitioner of the left-hand path is not a criminal in the usual sense. He or she is bound to break the cosmic laws of nature and to break the conventional social laws imposed by ignorance and intolerance. But in so doing, the left-hand path practitioner seeks a higher law of reality founded on knowledge and power. Although beyond good and evil, this path requires the most rigorous of ethical standards. These standards are based on understanding and not on blind obedience to external authorities. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So, they seek to break the natural laws in this place. That's what they set out to do. They see themselves as not being bound by the standards of good or evil here. They're beyond that, you see. They're beyond morality. They seek to practice a higher law of reality. Really? What is this higher law of reality, you might ask? Well, we'll find out, won't we? Because, you see, there is no higher law than natural law that was ordained and put in place and spoken into motion here in this universe by the Creator Himself, by God. It's immutable. These natural laws are immutable. You can't break them. You can attempt to break them, but you will have consequences for that. Natural consequences for breaking these laws. That's what we've been warned. That's what we've been told, and it's not because God hates mankind or any such notion or is indifferent to mankind. He told us outright, hey, there's this thing you can't do. If you do this, in that day you will certainly die. We went ahead and did it. Now, death is rampant in this world. It's one of the things that predominates this world. But there's more. There's always more. But let's go ahead and we'll, we'll continue reading here because now... Like he said, I'll go back to the last sentence there, and then we'll continue from there. He says, although beyond good and evil, this path requires the most rigorous of ethical standards. These standards are based on understanding and not on blind obedience to external authorities. I'm going to pause for a moment before we continue. So they know better. The people following the left-hand path, they know better than everybody else. They won't blind, blindly obey natural laws. Why would they do that? Right? Let's go ahead and read on. This latter characteristic of the true left-hand path is the chief cause of its misunderstanding, not only for those on the outside, but for some who would follow this path as well. It takes an enormous amount of spiritual courage to persevere in the face of rejection by not only the world around them, but by elements within their own subjective universes as well. Many break under the strain and fall away from the aim and sink back into the morass of cultural norms. To be considered a true lord of the left-hand path, then, someone must have rejected the forms of conventional good and embraced those of conventional evil and have practiced antinomianism as part of the effort to gain a permanent, independent, enlightened, and empowered level of being. 
This self-deification does not seem sufficient without the satanic component, which acts as a guide through the quagmire of popular sentiment and conventional beliefs. In completing research for this book, I discovered that, in fact, there are two distinct branches of the left-hand path. Both of these branches fulfill the criteria outlined above, but approach the process from distinct points of view. One of these, which I will call the imminent branch of the left-hand path, proceeds from an objectivist and even materialistic outlook. Its magical methods are often steeped in imagery, and its orientation is almost exclusively toward the objective or mundane universe. In this branch, the antimonium, antinomium aspect is especially pronounced. Among modern schools, it is exemplified by Levian Satanism. The second branch, which I will name the transcendental branch of the left-hand path, is based upon a psychecentric or soul or intellect-centered model. It is highly idealistic, and its magical methods are usually founded on eternal forms or archetypes. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. So once again, we see the importance of archetypes at play here by these people, these dark occultists, these black magicians who follow the left-hand path and who try to steer our reality in certain ways. Let's read on. The ultimate separation of the human mind from the cosmic order around it is recognized and celebrated. In its highest forms, the transcendent branch is focused on the subjective universe, on the separation of the self from the cosmic order and the evolution of that self into a permanent and empowered form. In this branch, the self-divinizing aspect is especially pronounced. Among modern schools, it is exemplified by the Setian magical philosophy of Michael Aquino. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. Notice that both of the people that he identifies as being aligned with the left-hand path are both avowed Satanists. They just go about it a little differently, that's all. <laughs> Let's continue reading. I will begin with the left-hand path as understood in Eastern religious systems, that is, systems which have their origins in the Indo-Iranian cultural sphere. I will discuss the concepts of the right-hand path versus the left-hand path in the context of Hinduism and Buddhism, in which the terms first originated. This section will place the whole discussion in a non-Judeo-Christian context and in one in which the two paths coexist with the same cosmology. Also included here is a treatment of the Zoroastrian doctrines of dualism and how they affected the development of the left-hand path in the West. The philosophical systems of certain great world cultures, such as those of the Far East in China and Japan, or the Mesoamerican world will be noted for their absence. This is partially due to limitations in my own knowledge, but it also seems that the systems of Taoism and Shinto, for example, lack the strict dichotomies necessary to understanding the role of the individual in the universe in terms of the two paths. The degree to which they are present in either system seems to have been the result of contact with Indo-Aryan thought in the form of Buddhism. In the second part of the book, I will discuss the western branches of the left-hand path. First, we must understand clearly the true nature of the western traditions. It is important to know the degree to which indigenous European systems share elements with the eastern traditions and the degree to which the west is really a product of southern influence chiefly coming from the Middle East and Egypt. 
What we often call Eastern is in fact more truly Western or Northern, while what we call Western is really more truly Middle Eastern or Southern. In the discussion of the original European traditions, we will first explore the Greco-Roman world. The Promethean myth is seen as a paradigm of the relationship of the Creator God and the giver of the gift of the Divine Spark. In the North, we will follow, or sorry, in the North, we will see the Odinic myths as an original paradigm of the Prince of Darkness, which foreshadows the Faustian themes to come. The West, of course, became greatly influenced by Middle Eastern traditions through the conversion to Christianity, a Judaic cult from the East, as well as Judaism itself and late Islam. Understanding of this tradition is essential to understanding the left-hand path in the West today. Interestingly here are Sumerian as well as Semitic backgrounds on the role of gods of evil in non-Judaic Semitic religion. The Egyptian tradition especially as it regards the cult of the god Set, is important not only for the understanding of ancient left-hand path traditions, but also for its possible significance for the contemporary temple of Set. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. The organization that Michael Aquino mentioned above belonged to. To grasp the deeper significance, or the deepest significance, of the left-hand path in the West from time of the conversions to the dawn of the postmodern age, Christian period. We must discover the Judaic roots of Christianity and Christian ideas of evil and the nature of Satan. In this regard, we can not ignore the importance of the Gnostic interpretations on the role of the serpent or Lucifer and his Promethean relationship with humankind. All right, folks, I think we're going to cut it off right there. So we see here, he identifies the left-hand path, the precepts of it, it's all about the same philosophy espoused by these secret mystery schools and fraternal brotherhoods, occult orders, all around the world. It's all the same old stuff. They all practice this. They all follow this path. So even though there are those in these societies that claim to be working for the good of man, it's the inversion principle going on. And some of these people that join these fraternities may actually have good intentions, but by working in opposition to the natural order of things the way they do, they are working against the good. They're working for the wrong team. They're going to end up with the wrong result, and they don't even realize it. They think they're doing good. They sincerely believe they're doing good, but they're on the wrong path. Now, I said at the outset of this program, I'm going to preach a bit tonight. And here it is. There's only one path that you can take that is a sure path. One path, one way has been made. And that's through accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Understanding his love for you and developing this personal relationship with him. You do that, you don't have to worry about any of this nonsensical grasping at straws and striving to become better. And all of this nonsense, the initiation practices, all of these different things, the striving for ever greater secrets and more and more power and building your own salvation or building your own way or becoming God yourself, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to worry about any of that. He gave us a free gift 
God, the Creator, has given us many free gifts. He's given us intellect. He's given us a free will. He's given us choice. We have choices. We have the choice to either follow his plan for us and follow the natural order and work with that and achieve happiness and achieve communion with God, fellowship with God, and having a fantastic future ahead, having a fantastic outcome, having joy unheard of, untold. And all you have to do is accept the free gift. There's no working towards it. He said it is, it's a free gift. It's a gift by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. He made the way, and all you have to do is accept the free gift. It's really that simple, and that's what many of these occultists don't want people to understand and accept. It's that simple. You accept the free gift, you accept salvation. All you have to do is pray, Jesus, I I know I'm a sinner, I know I've done wrong things in my life, but right now I'd like to accept you in my heart as my Savior. Forgive me of what I've done. Help to guide and direct my paths. I accept that gift. I accept that free gift. And he'll come into your life. And you'll have fellowship with him. You'll have a relationship with him. A right relationship. Now, does that mean you're going to live perfectly? Does that mean your life is going to be easy? No. No. It doesn't. We all screw up and continue to screw up, but you know what? If you put your trust and faith in him and let him direct your paths, he's not going to lead you wrong. That's the truth. The objective truth. None of this subjective nonsense. None of this following the path of the philosophers of fire. We're the builders. (laughs) We we do things. You guys are just, uh, you know, those... Those silly people that are just happy for sloppy seconds on stuff. We're the ones that get things done. Uh, No. No, sorry. You would not be able to do anything without the Creator having first intervened and stepped in. Made it possible for you to make the choices you make. It's a free gift. It's up to you what you want to do with it. It's really very simple. These people like to overcomplicate everything. These occultists, these ones that seek wisdom and knowledge, the Gnostics, try to quantify everything in some way. They work iniquities and call it good, as we see here. They all operate on the left-hand path. That's the simple fact of the matter by their own definitions, folks. By their very own criteria, they all operate on the left-hand path. They all work in opposition to God, to the natural order. That's what they do. That's who they are. But you know what? Here's the point here, and this is what I led the show off with today. The reason why I'm preaching is because perhaps out there in the audience somewhere, one of you has been maybe purposefully following this left-hand path, or maybe you have been following this path of selfishness and deifying the self, and operating on that left-hand path unknowingly, 
without realizing, and this is the first it's come to your attention. Perhaps that's you. If that is, I want to tell you, there's a little wisdom in the Led Zeppelin song, Stairway to Heaven. And it's simply this, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. That's the point. You're never too far gone to find this salvation, to have this relationship with God, the Creator, to be able to find truth, to know truth, to live in joy and peace, and to not be tortured by this ever-present striving that these people on the left-hand path seek to do. They're never quite good enough. They're never quite going to make it. They cannot build their own salvation. They cannot build their own universe. They are not God. They can never become God. It's all a lie born in the pits of hell. And that's the whole point here tonight. So the left-hand path, folks, it's the path to destruction. Make no mistake about it. Even though they make it sound all good and flowery and make it sound all pleasant and like your own, you're your own person, you're a self-made, you can do it yourself, it's all about the self, 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 self. It's very self-centric by their own words here. And even though they try to make it sound like this is an achievable thing, it most certainly assuredly is not. You cannot be God, sorry. It's just the way it is. No created thing can ever be greater than its creator, and that's a fact, Jack. So, that being the case, you cannot be God. You will never be God. These people will never be God, although they'll try to convince you that they can. And they will make attempts through their spiritual technologies, as they pointed out here, to try to build their own universes and worlds. These will probably largely look like virtual reality worlds within computer mainframes, and they'll attempt to upload the, their consciousness to this world and live in this isolated way, which they seek on the left-hand path to be their own person. But the ends of that, as I said, will result in collectivism. If they succeed in uploading their minds to the mainframe, well, it'll be one collective hive mind, and it'll be named Lucifer, I assure you. And that will be the sole residing will left at the end of it all. But we don't have to go there, folks. That's the good news. We can accept the free gift and step away from all that crap. We've been warned about it. The Bible has clearly told us these things were coming. We just didn't understand it then through the lenses we had. But now we can see the big picture coming together. And that's the good news here. We're living in remarkable times, but it's time to make a choice. Which path are you going to go down? Which road are you going to take? Are you going to be on the right side or the left? The wrong side, the destructive side. The side that leads to your destruction, mind, spirit, soul, and body. Which side are you going to pick? It's a decision we all need to make, and it's one you cannot push off any longer. It's not one that you can just keep riding the fence with. We're getting to down to the brass tacks of things here, folks. The time's coming where you're going to be forced to make a decision. Don't make the wrong one. Anyway, that's all I have for tonight, folks. I hope this was helpful. 
for somebody out there. I sincerely hope, I know in my very soul and my spirit, that somebody out there needed to hear this message. So that's why it's out there right now. And I'm going to actually put this forward as a free recording here later for whoever may need this. So I want to thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you. Have a good night now. Catch you next time. Come with me.